Um, I have to say that, that comfort is a great word. It's a word that I like. And, and comfort in itself has, has a couple of meanings. There is, of course, the uh, uh, having, it means comfortable, to be comfortable, to have comfortable clothes. I, I generally buy my clothes at Mr. Price or Monsieur Prise because they're nice and cheap. But being cheap, they're not always particularly comfortable. At the beginning of this year, we were in Cape Town and we found an Edgar store that had, um, that had a big sale on. And they were selling chinos for 120 bucks, which is cheaper than Mr. Price clothes. And I bought a couple of pairs there because, man, they are so comfortable. Wearing a pair now, um, just super comfortable. I could sleep in these. It's just a whole world of difference. Or it's like wearing a pair of comfortable shoes. Uh, you know what it's like to wear a decent pair of shoes all day. You, you get to the end of the day and it feels as though your feet have been massaged. As opposed to wearing a pair of cheap shoes all day and feeling as though your feet have been beaten for 10 minutes. And it's not only comfortable clothes, but there's a comfy chair. And I hope some of you are in a comfy chair right now. Or perhaps there's even a comfy bed uh, instead of a lumpy bed. And I hope that none of you are still lying in your comfy bed at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And then, of course, during lockdown, I, I suspect that there's been a few of us who've indulged in comfort food. It's all too easy to just open the fridge at the moment every time you walk past to find something in there. Or even to open the freezer and find a little bit of ice cream. Um, I'm just grateful that we've had a, a fairly steady supply of grapes. So that every time I open the fridge I grab a handful of grapes and it feels a little bit healthier than grabbing yet another Easter egg. Although those are, they're all eaten and finished anyway. But comfort also has that connotation of coming alongside someone when there's sorrow and mourning. To come alongside someone and to offer a, a hanky to, to wipe away the tears. To come alongside someone and to, to offer that hand on the shoulder. That's kind of where we're going this morning. I think we all know that our world has changed. And it's been interesting to note in speaking to different people in our church over this last week how, how different people have reacted and responded. How for some, life goes on. How for some, business is booming. You're working harder than you ever did at, now that you're working at home. You're working longer hours. You're putting in overtime because your business or the business that you're employed by is, is booming. And so for some of you, you're super busy. You're loving being at home. You're loving being with the family. But there are others in our church who've, who've had the opposite uh, impact. There are others in our church where business is about to be shut down. And there's, there's the, the wonder, the debate, is, is business actually going to, is, is my business going to be able to reopen? Is it going to reopen as it was before? And for some of you, I know things are looking a little bleak. The world is changing. And even beyond business, when lockdown finally ends, there's going to be a new normal. Social distancing will be the norm. Um, masks will be a standard thing, I think. I suspect that the next time we gather as a church, there won't be too much hugging and kissing at the door. And I'm wondering, will I have to preach with a mask on? Who knows? And of course, that's not just our oh, lack of faith. And I know some people say that you just must have faith. But you know what? Stepping off a cliff... And believing that God will hold me up and, and help me withstand gravity is not faith, it's foolishness. And stepping out into a world filled with virus and saying God will save me and spare me is not faith, it's foolishness. Our God calls us to be wise. Our world 
is going to be different. And the question we're going to be asking over the next few months, uh, perhaps even longer, is how are we going to cope in our new world? How are we going to cope with the changes that have taken place? And I think there will be a certain amount of mourning and sadness for the way things were and how things have changed and what has been lost. We're starting a new series this week with a view to looking ahead. And this morning, my focus is going to be on comfort in suffering and sorrow and hardship. But we're, we're looking ahead. We're going to begin uh, a new series this morning in the letter of 2 Corinthians. Now, often preachers, I found this all over the place, that often preachers will preach from first something. Uh, we'll preach from 1 Thessalonians or 1 Peter or 1 John. I've preached on all of those or even 1 Corinthians and just never quite get round to second something. I've preached on 1 Thessalonians but never on 2 Thessalonians. I've preached from 1 Peter but never from 2 Peter. It's almost like you, you intend to get there and then you just, just don't. Or 1 Samuel but never quite get round to looking at 2 Samuel. Well, I preached from 1 Corinthians many years ago with the intention of getting to 2 Corinthians and just never did. And so now here we are at 2 Corinthians. Now, the reason that we're here is not just because it's the second book and we might as well, but because this book has a lot to say, this, this letter has a lot to say to us in terms of dealing with change, dealing with hardship, dealing with difficulty. Paul, the apostle, had a very interesting relationship with the town of Corinth. The town of Corinth itself was a boom town in the north of Greece. It was big on trade. It was on a bit of a land bridge. So it, it saved traders an awful lot of time. Instead of having to travel all the way around Greece and up the other side, they could just pop in at Corinth and transport good goods across the land bridge and carry on their, their merry way. So it, it, it saved a lot of time. It was a town of trade. It was also a, a town of vices. It was a town, town of temples and idols of every kind. It was a town that was known for its immorality, a town that was known for its, its wild living. It was a wealthy town, being a trade town. It, it, it was a town that was the home to the equivalent of our Commonwealth Games. It was second only to the Olympic Games in Olympus at the time. And, and it was into this booming den of iniquity that a church had been established. But man, what a church. This church was an absolute disaster. It, it was a church of infantile childishness. If, if you just go back and read 1 Corinthians, you'll see the kind of mess that this church was. In fact, the church seemed to reflect the world instead of impact the world. The church in Corinth looked like the city of Corinth. If Corinth was a place of immorality, the church even more so. If Corinth was a place of drunkenness, well, the church even more so. You remember, they were getting drunk at communion time. It was a church that was divided into factions. It was a church that had adopted some very unusual, bizarre beliefs. And within the church, there were a group of people that were challenging Paul's apostolic authority. They were acting a little bit like our modern-day name-it-and-claim-it health and wealth preachers. And they were essentially saying, listen, if, if we're going to follow someone, we need to know that that someone is blessed by God. And Paul's sufferings indicate that he's not being blessed by God at all. And so we need to follow the new super-apostles who live in comfort and ease. They wear nice new Edgar's pants. And so this letter that Paul writes is written to put some of those things straight. 
It's a letter that reveals more about Paul than pretty much any other letter in the New Testament. And it's a letter that has a lot to say about suffering and the purpose of God. It's a letter that demands that we grow up. And in fact, if we were going to have, a, 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 I guess, a theme for, for this next couple of months and going through Corinthians, it would be just that, grow up, or growing pains, or become an adult, or, or start adulting, something like that. That's what it would be about. So let me read the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Acacia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I want to focus primarily on those last few verses, but let me make just a couple of quick comments on the first two verses this morning before we get going. So, so as we know, as we said, Paul wrote the letter, and it's helpful that he starts off by saying this is a letter from Paul. I, I, I've said this before, but how often you, in the past, you would write a letter to someone, you put your name at the end, even in our emails, you write your name at the end. And it's sometimes, I think, helpful to know who wrote the letter first before you actually read the letter. I don't know if you've been to a wedding and the best man gets up and he reads greetings from all over the world and it used to be he'd read a telegram, now he reads an email and it's all about how wonderful the groom is and how gorgeous the bride is and at the very end of it he says, and this is from Uncle Tim and you go, oh Uncle Tim, if I'd known it was from Uncle Tim, I'd paid more attention from the start. And I think that's sometimes helpful to have the name at the beginning of the letter. And so Paul says, this is from me, and now we're going, oh, it's from Paul. Perhaps we should pay attention. And Paul indicates right from the start, he says, this is from me, and I am an apostle by the will of God. 
So I'd said earlier that there were some people in the church who were challenging Paul's apostolic authority. And Paul, from the very beginning, just setting it out and saying, I didn't come upon this task myself. I didn't appoint myself to this position. This is not something that I've made up for myself. I'm appointed as an apostle by the will of God. And that's going to come out later on in this letter as Paul has to defend himself. And then Paul offers two words, two, two great Bible words for us this morning. He offers, first of all, grace, which is the unmerited, undeserved, in fact, ill-deserved favor and kindness of God. And you've got to ask, did this messed up church deserve anything other than to be shut down? And to be honest, no, they deserve nothing. And yet God extends grace to them. What do we deserve? What do we expect to receive from God? We deserve nothing. And yet God in kindness gives us grace. The second thing that Paul puts out here, the second thing that Paul offers is that word peace. And if you're, if you're Greek this morning, then you know that the word peace in Greek is Irene. So Irene, I hope you're listening in this morning. I hope you're paying attention. But this is your word, Irene. And we, we had this discussion a little while ago, Irene, uh, about how to pronounce your name. Well, if you're doing it in the proper Greek, then your name is actually Irene. So we're going to start calling you that from now on. But this word peace means more than just hippie peace. It's not just a hey, peace, brother. Uh, it means... It means well-being. In fact, I, I read something this week, and I, I just like this little phrase. It means the flourishing of soul. And I think that's a great phrase, one that we should all hold on to. To be a flourishing soul. And I think in our current state of lockdown, some of us are experiencing a withering of soul. For some, depression is beginning to set in. And although it's very peaceful, there's no cars and planes flying around and there's not much noise out there, some of us feel very confined. And some of us are looking at our future and not looking at our future with much hope. And so for some today, I think the withered soul might define us. And yet God offers flourishing. And I long to see you flourish. And I'm hoping that this morning will be first steps towards flourishing and becoming a flourishing soul. Now the rest of this passage, having got through the introductions, the rest of this passage really focuses on the idea of comfort. And that's what I want us to hold on to today. And here's to, what, what we're going to do this morning, fairly simple. We're just going to follow some of the grammar of what's going on in this passage. We're going to see, first of all, who God is, and secondly, what God does. That's what Paul lays out for us in this passage. Who God is, and what God does. So here, here's how he starts. But he starts with, this is who God is. And he offers God praise. He says, praise be to God, blessed be our God. And then offers us three aspects of who God is. He is the Father of Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. And he is the God of all comfort. So I don't know if you noticed, Paul is obviously a good Baptist preacher because he's got three C's there. The Father of Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of comfort. So very quickly, he is the Father of Christ. And Paul had actually just said in the previous verse, if you pay attention, that he is our Father too. But God is our Father because of Jesus. It's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we're able to be called children of God. 
Now, calling Jesus the Son of God doesn't mean that God, in some time in the distant past, created Jesus, that Jesus needed a mother somewhere. No, the, the title, the Son of God, refers more to Christ's position than it does to his origins. Jesus has always existed. He is fully God and has always been God. But simply, the role that he plays within the Trinity is that he plays the role of the submissive Son. And Paul calling Jesus the Christ reminds us or points us back to the Old Testament and the promises of God that God would send an anointed deliverer. That's what Christ means, the anointed one of God who would come to deliver his people. And so Paul sets out for us, first of all, praise be to God our Father and to the Father of the one who sends the deliverer, the one who is the deliverer, Jesus Christ, who has come to deliver us. So God is the Father of our Deliverer. Secondly, He is the Father of Compassion. Perhaps you have a different English translation that translate that word compassion to mercy. God the Father of mercy. Compassion is what you, what you feel for something or someone in need. Mercy is what you offer to someone who has nothing at all. And that's what God expresses to us. That we are recipients of His condescending mercy and compassion that he looks on us with pity and some people are somewhat offended by that they're like oh no I don't want to be pitied and yes yet you, you are as a as a sinner before God we really are in a mess we really do need help we really do need mercy we really do need compassion and God finds great delight in extending compassion to us and so we should never lose sight of the fact that we have received mercy from the King of the universe. And we should never lose sight of this, that no matter the extent of our wickedness, He is always compassionate toward us. No matter the extent of the wickedness of this past week, God continues to extend compassion to you. No wonder Paul says, praise be to the Father of compassion. He has always been compassionate toward us. However great my need, God in mercy will meet it. So God is the Father of the Christ, He is the Father of compassion, and He is also the God of all comfort. And that doesn't mean that He is the God who always gives us a comfy cushion and provides us with comfy food. This is not the God who takes us on comfort shopping trips. This is the God who draws near to those who are in distress. This is the God who draws alongside those who are downbeaten. This is the God who draws near to those whose souls are withering. To those who look up and see only darkness, God comes alongside them. To those who, who look on a changing world and say, how are we going to cope? God draws near to them, for He is the God of comfort. It is His nature and His character to comfort. In fact, do you notice that Paul has spoken about God the Father, and he has spoken about God the Son, and now he talks about the God who comforts? Doesn't it make you think perhaps of, of John 17, where Jesus praying for his disciples, and he promises that God will send his Spirit? This is John 14, where, where Jesus says, it's better that I go, so that the Comforter will come. God the Spirit is referred to as the one who comforts. It is the Holy Spirit who comforts us and draws near to us. 
And do you want to know what the Corinthians did when they needed to be comforted? Well, they went to the local temple of Bacchus. Bacchus was the god of wine. And they would go to the temple, and in an act of ritual worship, they would get drunk. Were they comforted? No, but they were at least able to forget for a while. I think some of us wish we could forget what's going on, but the problem is that we'll always sober up, and the troubles have just got worse. We don't have to serve a God who offers us temporary amnesia, but rather our God draws near to comfort those in need. This is reason to give praise to God in the midst of our distress and our despair. We serve a God who comforts. So we've got those three, three things. The God who is the Father of the Christ, God is the Father of compassion, and He is the God of all comfort. So what does God do? That's who He is. What does He do? And Paul outlines for us two things that He does. He tells us that He comforts us and that He delivers us, which is uh, makes perfect sense. The God of comfort comforts us. The God who delivers will deliver us. So here's what he says in verse, uh, in verse 4. The God who comforts us in all our troubles. In all our troubles. Now, now Paul in the rest of this letter is going to spend some time now and then telling us of some of the troubles that he has faced. He'll talk about being beaten up for the gospel, ending up in jail for the gospel. He'll talk about being in shipwrecks for the gospel. He'll talk about floating around on the Mediterranean. And that's not like Des and Yolanda on a uh, nice tube or a lilo floating on the Mediterranean, but literally clinging to bits of, of, of shipwreckage for a day and a night on the Mediterranean. And he talks about all this and about suffering for the gospel, and he even refers to these things as our light and momentary afflictions. The good news is that I've never had to properly suffer for the gospel, and for that I'm grateful. I'm grateful I don't live in a country like Iran or North Korea, where there is persecution of the Christian faith. But we all experience trouble of some kind. We all experience trouble of one kind or another. We'll all, at some stage in our life, experience the trouble of sickness. We'll all experience the, the moments where we are deeply troubled for our health. Some of you may remember Gary and Loanne and Kelsey Jeeves. Uh, they immigrated to Australia eight or ten years ago now, perhaps more. Um, and we just heard this week that Gary's mom is in hospital here in Durban on a ventilator as a result of COVID-19. She has the virus. This is now starting to hit home. It's now affecting people that we know. Many are troubled by health. Some of you are troubled in marriage. And you may have even found that these last three weeks have made the trouble harder to bear. You love your wife, you love your husband, but you find that it's easier to love them when you're out of the house for eight or ten hours a day and you only need to see each other at breakfast time and supper time. And now you're finding that being stuck together 24-7 for three weeks is becoming a little tough and a little difficult to bear. Some of you are troubled by your own mental health. 
And while some are finding that lockdown is wonderful, I can sit by myself and I'm completely at peace, others are finding that being locked down and confined to my own space with not a lot to do is bringing on depression and is perhaps raising levels of anxiety. Perhaps you need to go and visit a doctor and have your dopamine levels checked. Some of you are troubled in business. Some of you are looking ahead into in, a week or two weeks or three weeks time, wondering if business will open and when it does open, what will it look like? How will you be able to simply pick up from where you left off? Where will the capital come from to start again? And some of you are perhaps troubled by that. Some of you are going to be troubled by the banks soon when they start asking for your bond repayments. We all face the trouble of temptation. And perhaps you've faced all sorts of temptations this week, just being locked in and locked down. Perhaps the trouble that you're facing is the idolatry of your work. Some of you are finding that, that it's wonderful to work from home, and you're putting in more hours than you ever did. And the problem with that is that you're unable to separate work from home. And work is beginning to take on the role of an idol in your life that you are drawing your identity from and can't let go of. Trouble is many faceted. As a kid, I'd get into trouble at school, I'm sure, I'm sure you all got into trouble at school at some stage, but I'd get into trouble at school and, and I'd be able to come home and tell my mom that I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble with the teachers or I'm in trouble with the bullies or whatever, and mom would comfort me. She'd sometimes clip me around the ear well, when um, my trouble was my fault. But she'd often help me to figure out how to get out of the trouble. And the comfort that offered wasn't just hugs and kisses. I, I remember one night waking up at, or, or getting, going to bed and then getting up 10 minutes later because it suddenly came crashing in on me that I had a major project due to school the next day. And I came through to the lounge in a bit of a panic. And I think most parents would have said, and perhaps my parents should have said, well, toughies for you, go back to bed, suffer the consequences, you'll learn a lesson from it. <laughs> Thankfully, my family were very kind to me, and they sat up with me till goodness knows what time that night, finishing uh, an assignment on castles in the Middle Ages or something, I can't remember now. They offered me comfort, they came alongside me and helped me to get the job done. And when we read of God who comforts us in our trouble, that's exactly what it means. That He comes alongside us. Won't you just think for a moment of the trouble that you find yourself in, the trouble that you're facing at the moment, and then be reassured of this, that God draws near to offer comfort to you. We'll, we'll talk about the how in a moment, but let's talk about why. Let's talk about why God offers us comfort. He gives us two reasons for why God offers us comfort in trouble. And the first reason is this, so that we can comfort others. You want to know why you suffer? Uh, every now and then someone says to me, oh, I don't know why God is allowing me to go through such difficult trials and hardships. Well, Paul says, here's one reason why God allows you to go through them, so that you can comfort others in time to come. You ever wonder why you got sick? Ever wondered why you faced that particular temptation? Ever wondered why you ended up in that particular kind of sin? Ever wondered why you lost so much? 
Ever, ever wondered why Paul says, here's why, so that you can comfort others who are experiencing the same thing. How do you recover from a marriage that has been all but destroyed by adultery? Draw alongside someone, a couple, who have faced the same trial in their marriage and yet have come through it and come out of it stronger by the grace of God and find that they comfort you. How do you deal with, how do you get over, how do you deal with the fear of, of being just diagnosed with cancer? By finding that someone else who has walked that same path is able to come alongside you and offer comfort and show you how God comforted them in their distress. Your troubles are able to be transformed by His grace for a greater purpose. So that you can be God's hands in comforting others. Paul has such a wonderful way of putting this. He says, sufferings flow into us. And some of you feel that that's all that ever happens. That you're just a great big open mouth of sufferings pouring in. All that ever happens is that trouble is on my shoulders all the time. I just seem to attract trouble and difficulty and suffering. And Paul says, sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes you're just an open vessel for suffering. But Paul says, suffering flows in. And what flows out? What comes out? Suffering goes in. And he says, this is, this is the overflow. He says, here's the overflow of our sufferings. Through Christ, comfort overflows. How strange is that? That suffering comes in and comfort comes out. I've always thought that, you know, what goes in is what comes out. Put milk in a cup, pour it out, what comes out? The milk. Put poison in a cup, pour it out, what comes out? The poison. It's what, what goes in is what comes out. And yet Paul says, God does something different. God is able to transform what's going on inside of us. Trouble flows in and comfort overflows. God transforms something in the saints. When, when, when trouble and suffering threatened to overwhelm, Christ transforms and comfort overflows. And so we begin to see something of the redemptive nature of suffering, that there is a purpose in this. Overflowing comfort produces in others patient endurance. I've said before, it's a phrase that I just don't like. I think it's a phrase that none of us like. Patient Endurance. I mean, endurance is one thing we can endure. Having patience, that's tough. I can barely cope with that by itself. But patient endurance together, and yet that's what God calls us to. To patiently endure the trouble we face. Some of us are impatiently enduring lockdown. You may have in the past impatiently endured all kinds of trouble. But God calls us to patiently endure. And comforting one another helps us to patiently endure. When we find that someone else has endured the same suffering that we're going through, we're able to patiently endure because we see that they've managed to get through. And it's at this point that the Corinthians had begun to reject Paul. Because what Paul effectively says is, our weaknesses are put on display in order to comfort others. And that kind of goes against everything that our society would promote in us. 
Our society says you need to project strength. It's what the Corinthians wanted to see. They wanted, um, they wanted to, to, to see Paul being strong and in control. They wanted an apostle that looked as though he could cope with anything. We want to project that too. We want to project that we're people that are doing just fine. We want to hide our troubles and weaknesses because we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to see our weaknesses because we don't want to be embarrassed by our failures. We don't want people to know that we're failing at our job. We don't want people to know that our family is messed up. But Paul says, I'm putting my failures on display. Now, that doesn't say that I want you to now record your next family argument and put that up on Facebook, or that I want your wife to record you while you're curled up in a little ball under the bed and put that up on Facebook. We're not talking about that kind of display of weakness, but that we're simply honest. Paul says, I'm putting my failures on display. Why? Because we're all weak. Because we all struggle. There is no one who is strong and withstands everything. We're all troubled. And pretending that we aren't just leaves everyone struggling and leaves everyone alone in their struggles. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the troubles that I faced. And then he says this, he says, my troubles went far beyond my ability to endure. You know that verse where it says, Oh, God will never let you suffer anything that you can't deal with? Well, that's not quite true. That's not exactly how that verse goes. And in fact, Paul says here something quite different. He makes it very clear that God gave him something that was beyond his ability to endure. Have you ever been there? Never been at a place where you're going, This is beyond my ability to endure? I just can't get through this. I think some of you have. I think it's quite possible that some of you are. Paul goes on to say, we despaired of life. Ever been at that point of despair? Ever hit the bottom and despaired for life itself? Ever got to the bottom and think, it's all over? Paul says, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Ever got to that point where deep down in your heart you just said, this is the end. We can't go anymore. The death of the business. The end of the relationship. The termination of marriage. Perhaps you've got to the point of going, I despair for my own life. Let's just end it now. You notice that Paul is not promoting some kind of victorious Christian living here of I'm confident, and I'm secure, and I'll never fail. Paul's not doing that. Paul's just being honest and says, I've despaired of life itself. I thought I was going to die. Paul has his weakness on display. And I've just got to ask, how well do you hide your troubles? Because consider this, hiding your troubles is to no one's advantage. There are perhaps others who are currently troubled by the things that have troubled you in the past. And you are able to encourage and comfort them and inspire them to patiently endure. And there's this one shaft of light that shines through in this. And it's the word hope. 
In verse 7, Paul says, my hope for you is firm. Hope is what sustains. And it's not just hopeful, wishful thinking. Words change meanings. We know this, right? Gay used to mean being happy. Grass used to just be something you walk on. Hope is one of those words. It, it now means wishful thinking. It used to mean a sure and certain outcome of the future. And that's what Paul means here. Paul's not saying, I have some wishful hopes and perhaps maybe it'll all turn out okay for you. Paul has, says, I have a sure and certain future in store for you. And this is why we are able to patiently endure. Because there is a sure and certain outcome. So Paul says that we have God, this is what God does. He comforts us and he comforts us for two reasons. So that we can comfort others. That's the first and secondly, not only that we comfort others, but that in the midst of our troubles, look at verse 9. So that we learn to rely not on ourselves, but on Him. Do you want to know why trouble comes? Trouble comes so that you can comfort others. Trouble comes so that you can learn to rely on God on all things. Why does trouble come? Why do we face them? Why does God offer us comfort in trouble? So that we learn to rely on Him and not on ourselves. So that we're able to see our weaknesses and face them and see them for what they are. To recognize that we are weak. Some of us need to get to that point and acknowledge that. Some of the men in our church perhaps need to get to that point and acknowledge that we're weak. We want to promote this idea that we're strong, that we can cope with everything. But the gospel sets us out as us being weak and calling us to rely not on ourselves and our abilities, but to rely on Him. Troubles come to teach us to rely on Him. And so again, Paul challenges, or Paul, sorry, Paul's challengers at Corinth with those guys who were, who were saying, I can do anything, I can cope, I'm in charge, I'm a rock, nothing can shake me. And we need a super apostle who will be able to do just the same, who, who will portray this massive, unfailing competence. People and pastors around the world want to portray that same thing. Never troubled by anything. And Paul just says, nope, that's not me. I get troubled all the time. And it teaches me. That God is unfailingly competent, not me. Listen, folk, being a Christian does not make you immeasurably strong so that you can cope with anything. Being a Christian reminds you of your weakness and assures you that God can cope, that He is trustworthy, and that we can rely on Him. So God is the God who comforts and he comforts us so that we can comfort others and that we can learn to rely on him but not only is he the god who comforts but this is the second thing that he does god is the god who delivers and this again is where we have set our hope and it's paul circles back to that word hope again in verse 10 i think where he says that he is our hope in all things this is our confidence he says that god has delivered us from deadly peril in the past and I don't think that Paul is looking back and saying, God saved me once from shipwreck. I think Paul is looking to something deeper. That God has delivered us from the deadly peril and the deadly power of sin. That God has delivered us from the deadly power of death. And that because we have overcome that in God, then God, we can rely on Him 
to overcome whatever other trouble comes our way. We are confident that He will deliver us in our future too. Here is our confident hope in our troubles. That not only God will comfort us, but that He will deliver us. And whatever your trouble that you face now, whatever it might look like, God will comfort you and God is able to deliver you. And that deliverance may not come today and it may not come next week or next month. It may not even come next year. But there is a future and certain hope that God will deliver you from all troubles. Our confidence is this, that God will deliver. And did you notice at the very end what it is that Paul says God uses for deliverance? What is the means that God works in? God works through your prayers. Here's how God works His deliverance through the prayers of the saints. And it's not to say that God can't do anything unless you pray, but rather that God chooses to work through your prayers and mine. So do, do, do you know someone in trouble at the moment? Then pray for them. Pray for them and pray that God would deliver them. And then you will be able to give praise to God because your prayers have been answered. And we'll be able to give praise to God for the gracious favor that He has granted us in answer to the prayers of many. God uses your prayers to bring about deliverance. If we were in our school hall this morning instead of in this wonderful cathedral, if we were all together this morning, it would have been one of those um, unusual, not often uh, services where I would have called people to the front. Where I would have said to you today, are you in trouble? Why don't you come to the front? Do you think you're, you're strong? Why don't you acknowledge your weakness this morning and come to the front? Are you facing trouble at work? in marriage, in your brain, in your health, why don't you come to the front? And we would have offered prayer for you today. We can't do that this morning. But you yourself are able to bow your heart and surrender your, yourself, bow your head before uh, the maker of all things. And be comforted in all this this morning. Be comforted in all your troubles. May your withered and shrunken soul flourish. May you know God the Deliverer, the Father of all mercy, who comforts you in your trouble. May you know and experience today His comfort. May your troubles result in the overflow of comfort for others. May you patiently endure. May you rest your sure, confident, and certain hope in God, upon whom you rely. May you be delivered and be able to give thanks with great joy for the answered prayer of your saints, of, of His saints. Let's, let's pray together. And so, Father, we thank you that you are the God who delivers, that you are the God who sets free, that you are the God who comforts in distress. That in the midst of trouble and the trouble that we face this week, this month, this year. That in the trouble we face in business, at home, with relationships, at school, at college. With the troubles that we face in our own minds. The trouble that we face in the, the failing of our own bodies. In the midst of our troubles, you are the God who comforts us. 
And Lord, may our sufferings overflow and bring about comfort for others. May we comfort those in need. Lord, may we this week pray and pray earnestly for those whom we know who are in trouble. And may they be encouraged and comforted by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name.